Welcome to Real Life at the Ridge, the preaching ministry of Chestnut Ridge Church. I tell you, I am, uh, as of late, but especially even this week, I have just been so overwhelmed with um, gratitude for what God has done in my life. How good He's been. I've caught myself over the last couple weeks just stopping and looking. I'll stop and just pause for a moment uh, at home around my family and observe. I'll pause here and observe. I tell you, if you stop for a moment, you'll realize how good he's been. He has been good. He is good. And he always will be. Man, it is great to be with you this morning. I'm kind of trying to contain myself. <laughs> I believe that I have something this morning that this, I know it's impacted me. And I pray that it impacts you today. And if you don't know Christ, my prayer is that you come to know Him sooner than later. John chapter 17, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a few verses here in just, just a moment. Carrying on a thought that we started last week about why, why are we here? And, and this is in transition in a series we're doing, but it's a huge transition, but it, I believe it's all in God's plan. What I was going to preach today, I'm going to have to preach today and tomorrow. I mean today and next Sunday. <laughs> You can come tomorrow too. You, you um, just might not be here. Um, I, and there's a possibility we may even have to take three sessions to get there, but God knows uh, all about it. We are here because of one primary reason, and that is because of the gospel. No matter where you are in life, whether you're lost, whether you're saved, whether you're, uh, you've just been doing church, no matter where you are in life, you're here because of the gospel. And I'm, my prayer is that you're going to see that over these few weeks. In John chapter 17, <clears throat> starting in verse 1, Jesus begins to pray before 
his disciples. And he says, it says, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me. And they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them through your name, those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name, those whom you gave me, <clears throat> I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the Scriptures might be fulfilled." But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Verse 14 says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Let's pray. Father, would you please today teach us the most invaluable truth in unprecedented times like we live in. There's never been a day in our lives I believe that we've needed it more. We need your truth. We need the Holy Spirit of God to empower us challenge us my prayer is God that as we move through the next few months that you will be fortifying an army to go into the communities around us and into the world even that we might take the gospel that would, this would not be some fallout bunker where we just huddle tighter and tighter together and we pull our, the light of the gospel into a, a smaller and smaller group, but that we have the, just as you told Timothy, that the gift that is within you would be stirred up that we would go out and that we would charge into the darkness with the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you so ignite that flame in our lives today in Christ's name? Amen.
my flesh often wants to share things with you that would make you feel better this week. But the spirit of the living God inside of me will not let me do it. It's, it m- must be his word. And it must be truth to us in the day that we live in. And I believe it is. The truth, again, that you need to grab a hold of first this morning is that you are here because of the gospel. The gospel is not just coming to church. The gospel is not just some semantics on how you can have a better life at this moment. That's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ, his life, and his uh, death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension. It It is everything that Jesus Christ is, and everything that Jesus Christ did, and how that is appropriated to us. How do we get what Christ has done? And so when we look in this, I want to first just simply share with you the fact that because of the gospel, you and I are despised by the world. I want you to to let this... And this is not... I want you to understand something. This is not tragic news. This is not news that you go, well, life is over then. If people are going to hate me because of who I am as a Christian, then life must be over. And that's farther, so far from the truth. In John chapter 7, verse 14, listen to those words once again. And this is, this is Christ. This is His very words. Listen to what He says. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Now, there's no way to twist that. There's no way to turn that upside down. And that does not mean that everybody in your community, everybody in your household, everybody in the world hates you. Listen, the world hates you. Jesus said, I'm not of the world, and these are not of the world either. So there's a distinction between Christ and the world. And we can go into what all that means, that it's the world system, it's, the, it's sin, it's the devil, it's, it's, it's all of the uh, evil that is here because of a fallen world. And we'll get into a, a few things there, but I just want to take a few minutes and, and give you a few thoughts, a few scriptures, and then I want to preach to you for just a few minutes in closing. So what's wrong with the world that it would hate people that are trying to help? Now, that's a, I think that's a valid question. What's wrong with the world? Why would the world hate people that are trying to help? Because if Christians are being what Christ has called us to be, we're trying to help. When, when uh, Ray Elder shared the gospel with me in 1999, that was a help to me. That was not a hurt to me. Although it had to hurt me before it helped me, it still it turned out to be a great help to me. The reason we have hospitals today is because of Christians. Because Christians, their lives have been changed by Christ, and and they now have, 
well, they have the greatest humanitarian heart that anybody could ever have. Because if you are in Christ, you understand what it means to be created in the image of Almighty God. If anybody understands, it's us. That we were created in the image of Almighty God. That we're different. That there's something innately different about us compared to all of creation. That God breathed his very own breath into man and caused him to become a living being. So what's wrong with the world that it would be like this? See, today's philosophy would tell us that it is a social injustice issue. The world would tell us it's a political injustice issue. But that's not the issue. It is an unrighteousness issue. The issue is unrighteousness, and it is our injustice towards a holy God. That's the issue. Race is not an issue in the cross. Everything is settled at the foot of the cross. And I'm telling you today, don't you let this world and this council culture and, and critical race theory and all these things cause you to believe that certain social justice movements are what's important. What's important is the reason that you're here. It's the gospel. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what is important. And nothing can turn our attention from that. We must stay focused. Even if the world hates us. Listen. John MacArthur says that it's the de default position of humanity to hate. Today, hate has been made into a noble cause. We've seen it. We've seen where, where uh, methods and groups that are, that are so bent on hatred have been heralded to be noble. They've sold a whole generation on the nobility of hate. Mark 7, 20 through 23 says this, And he said, What comes out of a man that defile, it defiles a man? For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. I want to remind you something, though. We were also children of wrath. If you're saved today, the Bible tells us, teaches us in Ephesians chapter 2, that we once were children of wrath. We were sons of disobedience. But God, in His precious mercy and grace, saved us. Now because of what God has done in to free us, because of that, we're hated. And I want to break this down for you into a couple, of, uh, a couple of thoughts. So today I'm going to give you an introductory as to why the world hates what we believe hates us. And they do hate us, but it's not really us that they hate, and I'll show you that in just a moment. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 22, it says, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. 
but he who endures to the end will be saved. Now, I want you to listen. I'm just reading the Bible to you, okay? Y'all good this morning? I'm just reading the Bible to you. This is not out of date. It's, it's not out of style. It's just out of practice. That's all there is to it. Listen to what he says. And you will be hated. This is Jesus again. Just in case y'all have a problem with listening to Paul and all the rest of them. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. Mark 13, 13 says, And you will be hated by all for my sake, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. John 12, 25, And he who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. John 15, 8, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. You do remember that they crucified Christ. You do remember that they, they took an innocent man simply because he said he was the righteous, righteous son of the living God. That was, he was prophesied that he was coming, but he didn't come for the political prowess in which they had desired for somebody to come. They didn't want somebody to come to tell them they were unrighteous. They wanted somebody to come and help them promote their righteousness. And is that not what happens in the world today? Nobody wants to hear that, you're un that they're unrighteous. Come on. I mean, let's just be honest. Nobody wants to hear that they're unrighteous, but we know that there is only one that is righteous. See, that is the gospel, is it not? So, Listen to this for just a moment. I'm going to give you this short point, then a little bit longer one, and then I'm going to settle in. When we believed, we were declared righteous. If you want to know why the world hates us, it's because when we believed, we were declared righteous. Now see, I don't know what would have happened if God would not have told us that we were declared righteous. It might have made things easier. But it messed my whole world up. Because I cannot quite get a grip on it. That I have been declared righteous, but yet I know that I am not righteous. I hope y'all are where I'm at. Listen to John 17 two through three. Listen to Jesus' words out of John 17. As you, as, you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And that, this is not a knowing them in passing. The only way that you're going to be able to know God is you are going to be able, you're going to have to be able to be in His presence. You're going to have to be able to understand who He is through His Word. The Holy Spirit must live in you. And He says that you gave, that He gave Christ the right to give eternal life. 
And I want to talk about that eternal life just a moment. And I want you to I want to start there by 2 Corinthians 5:19. It says that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Listen to, listen to that one more time. That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. We'll get to that committed to us, the word of reconciliation, some weeks down the road because we have a responsibility. But today I just want it to sink into you that if you are saved today, God did not impute your sins to you at Calvary's cross. He imputed your sins on Christ at Calvary. Now, we were declared righteous because righteousness was imputed to us. And this is where I want to kind of spend just a few moments settling in. Let me read a few scriptures and then, then let's go for it. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Philippians 3.9 says, And be found in him not having our own righteousness for, which is from the law but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which is from God by faith in other words there was this transfer that happened there was this in the eyes of men it almost looks unjust how can a just and a holy God still be just and holy when he does something that shouldn't be done in our eyes. Let me take it a little bit personal before I step any further. Let's say that there's somebody that is a profane murderer and child molester that's on trial. And then you take the most righteous person, we'll take, we'll call her Meemaw. We'll call her Meemaw. You know that Meemaw's the only one that's allowed to call me Moon Pie, right? <laughs> Some of y'all will get that in a moment. But anyhow, we walk Meemaw into the courtroom just before they're fixing to convict this person. And we say, no, we're going to let this person go free. We want you to take Meemaw in their place. How would you feel about that? That wouldn't settle too well, would it? Back in the Old Testament, in Genesis chapter 15, God's having a conversation with Abraham. Abraham has not had a child, male child, to bear his name, a seed from within the house. But there's a servant there. And Abraham has settled in his heart that it's going to be through this servant that his lineage is going to have to go on. He's just going to have to give everything, all he has to this servant. And God tells Abraham, Abraham, come on outside with me for a moment. He said, Abraham, I want you to look up at the skies. I want you to look at those stars. How about you count those stars, Abraham? He said, that's how your seed will be. As many as the stars. Can you imagine? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 
And Abraham does something that's unique. The Bible says that Abraham believed God. Then God does something that is so, so interesting. God says, and it was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. Now, Abraham had not done anything to deserve righteousness, but God imputed his righteousness to Abraham. Undeserving, and all because he believed God. As a matter of fact, listen to Romans 4, 1 through 5. When they shall, what then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. To him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. So, we also realize that there is this desperate need that we have because of original sin. I'll give you another picture. In Genesis, God creates man and he creates woman. And there's a point in Genesis there where it says that they were naked and not ashamed. So they're walking around. They have no idea that they're naked. Unashamed, they're just walking around. And then something happens. The serpent comes along and he tempts them. And when sin enters into their life, they run off into the woods. When they run off into the woods, they hide, they're hiding in the trees and God comes along. In the cool of the day, the Bible says, and he cries, Adam, where are you, Adam? Hiding back here, Lord. For Lord, I... I'm naked and I'm ashamed. And God says, Adam, who told you you were naked? And God calls them before him. He curses her and him and the serpent. And the next thing that God does is one of the most gracious things that God could do. God makes them the first set of clothes covers their nakedness as they have seen it now and God's been covering it ever since for those that would come to him and believe on him in the Old Testament we find the tabernacle the temple and the tabernacle both used for sacrifices and they would take those lambs just as God slaughtered an animal so that they, he might cover them that day. They would slaughter these animals and take the blood from the animals as a picture of what God would do one day through Jesus Christ. They would even have this, uh, on the Day of Atonement, they would even take this goat and they would, the, the priest would symbolically take the, the sins of the people and he would lay them on the back of the goat and run the goat off into the woods out of sight, out of the camp, so that the camp, the encampment of the people, all the sins are gone out of it. I heard somebody say one time that Jesus had to be careful going through his life because if he'd have nicked his finger on a nail or something that 
if blood shed from him that sins would be forgiven at that point and he never would have went to the cross. No, no. Because if he just shed a little blood, that wouldn't finish the work. You know, it's just as important, and some people might think this to be heresy, but I want you to hear my heart. I believe it's just as important that Jesus came on this earth and lived as it is that he died. You see, because God had a righteous requirement that a sinless life would be given. See, that's why one drop of blood wouldn't do it. He had to spill it all. His life had to go from him. Without the shedding of blood, the Bible says there is no remission of sin. He laid down his life on Calvary's cross. He lived a sinless life. Then he laid his life down. They didn't take it. He laid it down. And the Bible even says that he suffered outside the camp. Now here's what I want you to get. Only Jesus Christ could do that for us. Only Jesus Christ could take those who are naked and ashamed. And don't we live in such a world today to where we ain't even shamed no more. But Jesus Christ, when He died on that cross, He had lived a perfect life. The sins of humanity are laid upon Jesus Christ that day. As a matter of fact, let me just go ahead and give you the picture that Donald Gray Barnhouse gives. Donald Gray Barnhouse says this, it's like if you had two notebooks and you took the one notebook and you, you take that notebook and in that notebook you are to put a mark for every sin that you've ever committed. And you begin to, to mark. And you go through the pages and you mark every sin that you've ever committed. How, how would you like to have a notebook in your hand today? And sitting here with a marker and just marking every sin that you can think of that you've committed. is just a mark. All through that notebook. And it's as if God took that notebook and placed it upon Christ. But then there's another notebook. That's Christ's testimony. And we put a mark in that notebook for every time Christ ever sinned. And he takes that notebook and he gives it to you. And a holy and a righteous God has sinful people like us that live here on this earth every day that transgress his commandments. Somehow, some way, we're not perfect. He knew every sin that we would ever commit, past, present, and future laid it on Jesus Christ that we, in God's eyes, because God can't look on sin. And so when God looks at us, He don't look at the notebook that we filled out. He looks at the one that Christ filled out. And He lets us live here debt-free 
That's what it means. See, when we talk about the imputation of righteousness, it's like a forensic science. You know, in the courtroom when they'll admit evidence and they have this forensic evidence where they've proved their case, that's what Christ did. That's the gospel is that Christ came from heaven born on this earth in a fleshly body and he lived a sinless life and then he died a perfect death and then he was raised to life again and that evidence it's what's in that book and so when God looks at you if you're saved today when God looks at you he sees the perfect evidence that Jesus Christ has imparted to us. You couldn't buy it. You can't work for it. Your grandparents couldn't give it to you. But Christ, because he chose to love us, he died for us. He lived for us. He raised himself from the dead for us. And he's interceding for us today. Amen. And so every time God looks at us, he's looking at Christ. The imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ on our lives. And if you're lost today, he sees you. If you're lost today, he sees you. He sees the marks, every mark. He sees more marks than you can see. And the only way that anybody will ever escape the wrath of God is through the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. And how do you receive that? You do just like they did in John 17. Verse 8, For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them and have known surely that I come forth from you and they have believed that you sent me. The world that hates you because you're not of the world doesn't even understand at the moment that you didn't do it, that Christ did it. They don't hate you. They hate Christ. And the more you look like Christ, the more they're going to hate you. And we have to be careful in the church life because we will say we just need to teach them the love of Christ. We don't need to teach them that other stuff. What other stuff? The Bible? Because you got to understand, if all we give them is a portion of it, we've not given them the gospel. And the only thing that's going to save them is the same thing that saved us. It is the gospel. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And please hear my heart when I say this. 
I do care about marriages and I do care about families and all this stuff, but if all you ever get is a better marriage and a better family and you go to hell, that ain't cool. So you can sit around and listen to people that don't give you anything but that other stuff all you want to. But I'm telling you right now, if you're a child of God, you need the gospel. We need the gospel. We'll talk about it next week. But see, it's that thing that happened when Christ imputed His righteousness to us that changed the way that we think. It changed the way that we act. Why do people act different when they're saved? It's because we're the only ones that realize that we're free. We're free. I don't know about you, but I'm excited about that. I'm free. I don't deserve to be free, but I'm free. I couldn't buy my freedom, but I'm free. And do you know that they can't nobody take that freedom away from me? And if you're free today, they can't nobody take that freedom away from you. You might live like a slave again by your choice of not living in the freedom of Jesus Christ. I'll never forget the story of Randy Kilby. He was president of Fruitland Baptist Bible College at one time. Tim, I think he was there when you were there. They said that right before Kenneth took over, sometime in the 90s, said that some of the big shots come from the st state convention that's coming to the Bible college is going to uh, make a visit. And they did. Some of the board directors, they'll suit and ties, come walking up into place. And there was a Christmas tree right there in the lobby of the college. And they wanted to know who put that Christmas tree up because they was going to let them have it. They said that Randy walked out of his office. He said, I'm the one who had them put it up there. And they started to scold him for it. He said, let me tell you something. He said, I'm so free in Jesus, I could lay up under that Christmas tree eating Easter eggs, singing jingle bells. <laughs> he said they just huffed and walked out the door and went on back. My prayer is that you'd know what freedom is today. My prayer is that you'd realize what has been imparted to you that your oh gosh I can't help but tell you this part I got just a couple minutes so I got to tell you you do realize that in the New Testament there's a story of someone having a great feast and they invited the people to a great feast guess what they did they put white garments on them and set them down at the table do you know that one day He's going to clothe me in white, pure as the driven snow. See, one day I'm going to meet up with the righteousness of Jesus Christ face to face. You say, oh, no, they're going to be clothed in the righteous acts of the saints. That's what the Bible says, yeah. But do you know that every deed that you do that is righteous in God's eyes, it is Jesus Christ doing it through you and in you, despite of you and despite of me. And I know you've heard this story a million times over, but I'm telling you, it's one of the most impactful things that's ever happened to me in my life. There was a lady that had been married one time before. And she was getting remarried. Church I was pastoring, not this church. The church I was pastoring, 
All, all we heard, they wanted to get it done quick. The gospel of Jesus Christ arrested their hearts. They were meeting with me and counseling with me, and they couldn't, they were, they were living together, and they couldn't handle it no more. God had got a hold of them. They wanted to get it done quick, and I said, well, tell you what, here's what we're going to do. We're gonna, I'm going to see if we can't get the church together. We're going to get this thing because they couldn't afford to, to put it together that quick. And, and, and so we were going to pull together. That was until some of the church people, preacher, you'll never guess she wants to wear white. Honest to God, she wants to wear white. How could she do that, preacher? And there were other people that said a lot of other things. Day of the wedding come. I'm standing up there with him and his son, or well, one of his sons. He had a couple sons, but I was standing up there with him and one of his sons. The door swung open, and there she was. And see, it ain't about her. And the Spirit of the living God spoke to my heart and said, Sure is pretty, ain't she? You didn't know God was a redneck, did you? Sure is pretty, ain't she? I said, yes, sir, she sure is. He said, you do realize that one day I'm going to clothe you, you little wretch. And you sure don't deserve it. I'm up there bawling my eyes out. They think it's because she's walking down the aisle and stuff. Man, no. One day... What God has been seeing in our lives while we're here on this earth, we will step in and the, this mortality shall put on immortality. This unrighteousness shall put on righteousness. And one day, you and I, if we're saved, we'll be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, our Lord. I don't know about you, but that excites me. Because that means I'm not going to hurt no more because of sin. Miss Debbie lost her sister this morning. There won't be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. The Bible says, for the former things have all passed away. And behold, God has made everything new. I'm going to ask you to stand with me for just a moment. If you would, just for a moment, right where you're at, I just simply want to ask you, are you saved? Is the righteousness of Jesus Christ what covers you before God today? Are you going to see him one day? And when you see him, is he going to be pleased because of the fact that you are saved by Christ? Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, now we see through a glass dimly, but then face to face. <laughs> so are you saved? If you're not saved, I'm not asking you to come to an altar. I'm just telling you wherever you want to get right this very minute. If God's so calling you to Him that you're lost and undone, that you be saved today because you can cry out to Him right now and believe on what Christ did, the gospel of Jesus Christ.
If you do that, please come and share with me. I'd love to share with you in, in what Christ is doing. If you're saved today, you ought to be excited. You ought to be excited that Jesus Christ paid it all. And all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. So I, I just want to be encouragement to you. And here's the future challenge for down the road. You can take it today, but we're going to work toward it. Now that we know what reconciliation is all about, now God has given us a ministry that we should go to others. That's why we can't hide ourselves from the world. It's because He has commanded us to go into all the world with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And if it don't see, the world don't see it as good news, that's on the world. But I promise you some will. Thank you for listening today. Pastor Greg wants to share with you how the gospel changed his life and how it can change yours too. You know, Tim, it was the gospel that saved me. I'll never forget when Ray Elder came into my life, uh, God put him there and he shared the truth of the gospel with me, that I was a sinner, that Christ died for my sins, and that if I would accept him as the Lord of my life and follow him, that he would change my life. And that's exactly what he's done. I wonder if that's something that you would like to do today, that you would today before God just admit, you know, God, I'm a sinner, I'm lost, and I need you. And God, I believe that Christ died on the cross for me, and I want to accept his payment today for, for my sins, and I want to live for him from this point forward. If you pray that prayer today, we want to welcome you into the family of God. We also want to encourage you to contact us. You'll find a link below where you can reach us. And so we look forward to hearing from you. so much that he gave his son for us. Amen. God bless you guys.